This is a QAMR Berghofer Medical Research Institute podcast. Supporting all women in science and medical research. Sheridan Hellman is a talented student, a skilled lab technician, and near completion of her PhD in iron homeostasis during pregnancy and infancy. But that's not where she started. Welcome, Sheridan. Thank you. You had quite an unconventional path to university. Can you tell us how that happened? Yeah, so when I was in high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I think I was more at school for the social aspect of it. So after I finished high school, I sort of travelled around Australia, lived in different parts, lived in Cairns, and just worked in hospitality and tourism, which were really fun, but... When my dad started to get sick, I was started reading papers and things, trying to figure out what was going on because he had been given different diagnoses in the dementia, Alzheimer's umbrella. But because his symptoms were quite strange, he had aphasia, which is where they lose the ability to speak or not completely lose it, but they can't say the like joining words like to and 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 all of that. So it can be very frustrating. Because of that, I was reading lots of scientific articles. And then I thought, I really like this. I want to do something meaningful with my life. I enrolled to do biomedical science at QUT. You wanted to be part of the solution for your dad at that stage. Yeah. Yep. Only 14 weeks before he passed away, he was diagnosed with motor neurone disease. And he'd actually been playing golf up until that point then had a a fall or something. He lost function of his left side and he was in hospital and then they realised that he wasn't getting the signal from his brain down into his limb. He was diagnosed then um, and I wanted to get into neuroscience knowing that motor neurone disease doesn't have a cure. It's sort of a, you know, manage the symptoms but it's kind of different for everyone Getting back to the whole uni thing, I wanted to try out some different labs. So I came to QIMR Berghofer for a summer internship with David Fraser. Who's the head of molecular nutrition? Yes. So at the time, he was under Greg Anderson's lab, which is the iron metabolism lab. And I did a summer internship with David and I loved it. I just loved his enthusiasm. He's so excited about science and and iron especially, it sort of lit a fire in my brain for the next couple of years of uni as well. So because I'd had that experience in the lab, it made me better academically. I could see what a career in science could be like. I wanted to do neuroscience because of my dad, but I didn't really know how I was going to get there. At the time, I'd been majoring in anatomy, but after meeting David and Starting to share his passion for science, I changed my major to cell and molecular biology. That really helped me with my classes, knowing the techniques. I'd done the techniques in David's lab. And then the next semester at uni, I did them in the lab at uni. I felt like I had this sneaky insider pre-experience of being a scientist um, before the rest of my class, which was awesome. I heard him interviewed the other day and he said everybody needs a Sheridan Hellman in their lab. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody needs a David Fraser. Absolutely. David is an amazing supervisor 
And that is probably my number one piece of advice to anyone who's studying science and wants to pursue postgraduate research, whether it be honours or masters, PhD. I can only speak about honours because that was my experience, but it is on such another level compared to what undergrad uni is, doing that one year in the lab. It's so intense. You need to have a really good mentor who has the time to teach you and that you can talk to about troubleshooting things. What sort of things happened in the lab that you might not have had access to if you had have had other supervisors or been in a different lab? I guess an example is when I first was doing that internship with David, he taught me the techniques that I needed to do this little project that I was working on. And then once he was satisfied that I was able to perform them, he stepped back and he let me be a little bit independent in the lab as well. Anyone who's done an undergrad science unit will know it's kind of like a zoo in those lab classes, everyone fighting over equipment and pipettes and reagents and stuff like that. To be trusted by a scientist like David in the lab to do something on my own at that level was really amazing and a lot of people wouldn't have had access to. You often hear PhD students say, pick your supervisor, then your topic. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, you've got to be interested in the area that you're studying because that would be a very long three to four years if you weren't. But also, I think all science is interesting as long as you've got a passion to do science and then you've got a really great mentor who you can talk to about the science. That's one of my favourite things is to talk to David about iron and all the projects we have going on and we probably talk for too long but it's really fun and it's interesting and we think up new things together so. It is the advantage of having a small lab as well isn't it? Yeah absolutely yeah. I don't get lost anywhere and my research is at the forefront of what the lab is doing so. You feel that you want to give that back in a way somehow don't you? Yeah definitely. Up until recently I was a student representative on the HDC, the Higher Degrees Committee. We attend the Higher Degrees Committee meetings with all the academics and where there is a voice of the students. Students can come to us if they have any issues to raise. We also organise the Student Symposium as well, which is an event that we have every year where all students are encouraged to give a talk about their research or their current data We used to have morning teas as well where we check in, sort of a mental health check-in to make sure everyone's okay and happy. Did you have somebody that you could go to when you were doing your honours year and now you're a PhD? I was a QUT student, so it's different for everyone. At QUT, we had a class who were all doing honours at different institutes. We would be in this class once a week together and we would all talk about things we messed up in the lab. It was very therapeutic to have that. Being here full-time for my PhD, I've got that again. There's heaps of students on my floor. We all talk to each other about what idiotic mistakes we've made or just really anything, gripes about our supervisors, (laughs) that sort of thing. PhDs are hard. They're not meant to be easy. If they were, everyone would do it. You're trying to figure something out, create knowledge And things don't always work. It might not be a mistake that you've made. It just doesn't work. Yeah, It's good to have good friends around. And I know you now love your work in molecular nutrition. Thank you. (laughs) 
We've got Iron Man up there and you'd be Iron Woman soon. The role of iron in the human body is so underappreciated, is it not? Absolutely. I say this all the time. All of our cells need iron to function and to replicate. So the work that we do is mainly focused around the importance of iron during pregnancy and in the neonatal period and infancy. There's really not as much known about iron regulation as there is in other stages of life, which is... Well, it makes sense because it's hard to do experiments on pregnant women. Yeah, absolutely. It's also one of the most critical periods of life in terms of development where you need to make sure that nutrition is quite spot on. There's been papers that have shown that when a woman is iron deficient in pregnancy or when a baby is iron deficient in infancy, that can affect the baby's cognitive development and that can't be corrected over the course of the life. There's been follow-up studies that have shown babies who were iron deficient either during pregnancy or in infancy when they're 16 years old, they score lower on things like IQ, visual acuity, motor processing. So these things stay with them throughout life. And I'm actually part of the Queensland Perinatal Society, which has done some really interesting research as well. They've shown when babies are growth restricted or small for their gestational age, they actually have problems with or higher risks of cardiovascular disease later in life. So it just shows you that things that happen in critical developmental windows that may not affect a child growing up can then come back later on. It is challenging. We know women still aren't supported, especially in the higher ends of medical research. Have you had challenges along the way? At my level, I haven't had any challenges being a woman that a man at my level wouldn't have had. Obviously, I'm acutely aware that there are gender disparities in funding and retaining women in science as seniority progresses. Hopefully, that's something that will be addressed. I follow a lot of really interesting female scientists on Twitter who are talking about this a lot, talking with the NHMRC. So I'm hoping that by the time I get there, There'll be more women in top-level science positions and more funding to women as well. You can pull the ladder down and help them up. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Sharon. It's been really fascinating. What a great story. I can't wait to say hi, Doc, in the corridors. <laughs> Thanks, Claire. <laughs>